tuning in with Care Asia, bringing human stories to life. Welcome to Tuning In by Care Asia. I'm Emily Fang, your host for today's episode. Shilpa Jain is the founder of Talk Your Heart Out, a Singapore-based online counseling and coaching platform that aims to make mental health support more accessible and affordable. They're 50% less expensive than typical private clinics are available beyond traditional office hours and simplify the process of finding the right counselor. Her motivation to launch Talk Your Heart Out stemmed from her experience in dealing with burnout, stress, and anxiety as a corporate lawyer in Australia. Hi, Shilpa. So good to see you. Thanks for being here at Crane in this new podcast studio room that we have. Why don't you give us some context about how you co-founded Talk Your Heart Out and yep. give us some context about like your background and what you do. Thank you so much, Emily, for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I used to work as a corporate lawyer in Australia up until a couple of years ago. And I left that job without another job in hand because I was like thoroughly burnt out. But what really, I guess, catalyzed the establishment of Tokyo Hara, or like what made me start mm-hmm. Tokyo Hara was really my relocation back to Singapore mid-year last year. Mm-hmm. I think on coming back, I realized that there was a lot that was being covered in the news, in the parliament, and just generally in the discourse uh, that you read in Singapore around mental health. But I felt like I could add a new perspective, a fresh perspective from my experience of having lived in Australia. Mm-hmm. And so in Australia, the conversations around mental health tend to be really open and inviting, inclusive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I felt that we could add that to Singapore. So while there was already quite a lot that was happening in the mental health space in Singapore, I did feel that we could talk about mental health as something that like everyone experiences, like each of us could have periods or bouts of poor mental health and we could in those times want to access therapy or help. And I wanted to provide Talk Your Heart Out as an avenue for these people, basically. Tell me more about you being in Australia, right? Because you mentioned Australia is very open about how they talk about mental health, the discussions they yeah. have around it. How how was it open, though? Like, were there just a lot more resources? Yeah, absolutely. You know? So actually, I worked like at least three places in Australia. And in each of the three places, we were offered employee assistance programs uh, that were really comprehensive and they included counseling services as well that were subsidized by the employer. Yeah. So that was part of it. But also in general, like I felt, very comfortable talking about going to therapy with people. It wasn't as stigmatized as it can be in Singapore. And I also found that people in general, like even, you know, in your office, if you were having a conversation with a friend or even your boss, you could easily go like, or not even apologize, but I come into work tomorrow because I want to take a mental health day. Mm -hmm. And that was completely acceptable, that it was okay to prioritize your mental health. It was okay to look after it. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have to, I guess, mask it behind something else like you didn't have to go like okay you know I can't come in because I've got a tummy ache or a fever or whatever like you could actually openly talk about it and it was encouraged in the workplace to take some time off if you weren't coping yeah and I think it speaks volumes honestly when a company says hey like this is part of your benefit package like this is part of your health package and we want you to use it and take advantage of it and go to therapy even if you know you you don't have a mental illness but go and like talk to someone and do some sort of like counseling service yeah absolutely I think the message that I got as an employee was that they care about me yeah exactly if they didn't they wouldn't provide it as a benefit yeah and it's also like 
they care about you like physically and mentally all bundled in a health package yeah absolutely so now that you're back in singapore how have you kind of seen the mental health space evolve from covid yeah so the last time that i lived in singapore was eight years ago Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or nine, nine years, actually. <laughs> so I think coming back to Singapore, I was so happy, thrilled to see how much more we're discussing mental health. Yeah. Well, I came back last mid-year and then, of course, COVID happened beginning of this year. Yeah. And I think that also kind of shifted the conversation a bit. Like, yeah. I think it made mental health front and center of yeah. the national conversation. Yeah. And I really do see a lot of difference in the way that people talk about it. And there's a lot more discussion around mental health. Yeah. I would say that a large part of it is because I think every single one of us experienced like mental health challenges during COVID, whether it was because of distance learning, work from home, family conflict, or economic uncertainty during this period. And I think that really definitely meant that we are taking mental health more seriously in Singapore. And I think what is interesting to me, and this is the perspective that I got doing Talk Your Heart Out, is that younger people in particular are quite open about mental health issues that they're facing and they are very ready to talk about it. They're also open to seeking help if they need to, which is refreshing. It's really nice. I'm not saying every young person, but by and large, that's what we notice that, I mean, even when young people come to us for therapy, I notice that they are mental health goals, as they stated to us, are always really concrete and clear which is impressive because they have thought a lot about what they want out of therapy. And yeah, I think it's refreshing to see that. And I think other than that, in general, like the government as well as taking mental health quite seriously with all the changes and the initiatives that have been brought into place this year. So yeah, it is quite encouraging. Yeah, you've mentioned that like younger generations are more open to speaking yeah. about mental health. I actually really agree with you on that as yeah. well. I think maybe there's comfort in knowing that your peer also has been dealing with this and we kind of just talk it out right mm. but I think for like the older generations it kind of is like you know keep it inside like you know you know keep your head up like just keep walking you don't really talk about it why do you think that is the reason and how does like talk your heart out how are you guys like helping older generations yeah I think that the younger generation is just more exposed to a lot lot more stuff I think nowadays with the advent of social media they're just like really connected and not just in terms of what's happening in Singapore they're abreast of all the developments but also overseas I think they have that benefit of exposure in terms of what we're doing with older people I don't think we're like targeting Targeting. them in any (laughs) not in a Mm -hmm. I guess super conscious way (laughs) but this generation. No, not that we are like neglecting them <laughs> yeah, either. Yeah, yeah. But I think what we're trying to do is to kind of use diff- different channels to reach different groups of people. So for example, we are present on social media with Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, but we also try to publish letters to the traditional newspapers. Traditional media, exactly. Like yeah, because people get their information from different sources, yeah. so you have to try and use all the different ones that are available. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is a real question. Like I have previously also participated in panel discussions and so on and that question comes up again and again like you know I'm a younger person and I am quite like keen to get therapy but sometimes you need that support from your parents as well if you particularly if you can't afford it and you're like still a student and like how do I convince them to be open to this idea so yeah we get that question all the time and we try our best to add value to that or to answer that in a way that helps you know like you mentioned that when you are on those panels and you get asked that question how do you respond then like how do you help the younger 
generations help their parents understand? Um, it's a hard I, question. It's a, it is a yeah, very hard very question. Hard. And I think I speak from my own experience because like my parents are pretty conservative and I come from a conservative Indian background. Mm-hmm. So having these discussions can be a bit hard. But my advice is not to shy away from them yeah. because it is a difficult thing to do. But then if you just think of it as how people are at different stages of their journey of evolution, like their thoughts are changing at different rates yeah. <laughs> and you just have to kind of nudge them along. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm like a firm believer of not, I don't think people need to have like big explosive arguments to make a point. They can just try and have a conversation, like watch a movie together, find creative solutions to get there. Mm-hmm. Like you can watch a movie together on a particular topic and then discuss that topic later, try and understand your parents' perspective as well mm-hmm. and learn something from it and then also contribute to that discussion in your own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that makes sense. I do think that it's being patient with them as well and trying to open up yourself to them and having them understand because I mean they probably come from a generation that doesn't talk about these things right it's not as easy for them to talk about it so yeah that's that's a good answer yeah but it is so hard and the generational divide is very much there so there's just something that needs to be done yeah I was actually uh, talking to my other friend Sabrina from uh, Calm Collective yes yeah so we were talking about how mental illness or mental health is something that cannot be seen Mm -hmm. it's in your head obviously but your brain is still like it's still functioning and it's still a muscle I guess like for you when you know you have people go through like counseling or just like talking like in a digitalized like platform what is like the initial reaction right because you're not going to like a physical location or a doctor it's like all done through like digital how is that being managed and what has been like the general reciprocation of it yeah yeah the fact that it's a digital platform yeah So I think at the very beginning, we have started like offering in-person sessions, but still in a limited way. And in the beginning when we started, it was only online Mm -hmm. counseling. And that was during the COVID period as well. And at the time, uh, counseling services were non-essential. So you couldn't actually meet in person for them anyway. So I think people were really receptive. But after the circuit breaker ended, that we did start having a few requests from clients to see counselors in person. And that is understandable. But I would say that by and large, like people have been pretty accepting of online therapy. And, you know, I think there's several reasons for it. I mean, even if you leave therapy aside, so much of our life is actually managed online. Like our banking can be purely online. We transact quite a lot online. We do all our grocery shopping, shopping of clothes. We even do telemedicine now. So I feel like people increasingly are getting more comfortable with the idea of having therapy online as well. And I think it is a positive trend because I feel like people can appreciate certain advantages that are afforded by virtue of the fact that it is online, whether it's like flexibility because we can offer after hours sessions and sessions on weekends or the fact that they don't have to travel to someplace else, which particularly certain groups of people, for example, caregivers or those who are disabled or people juggling multiple responsibilities at home and at work. Mm -hmm. I think they really do appreciate that level of convenience. And then on top of that, we can offer more affordability because you can do away with rental of an office space and maintenance of that office space. So we can afford provide the same services at a better rate. So because of a number of reasons, I feel like people have taken to online therapy. But of course, there's concerns around online therapy as well that just need to be managed too. So concerns around managing personal information, mm-hmm. for example, we just have to make sure that the platform is secure and that this is communicated to the client so they know. And also, I guess the added complexity sometimes is the fact that because the therapy happens from home for the client, they just have to make sure that this physical space is quiet and it's free of distractions. So no one interrupts them during the therapy session. So we try to like explain to the client 
in advance that you want to have an effective therapy session. So this is quite an important part of it to have the right space. And of course, sometimes it's challenging for the client because they live with their folks or they share a room with their sibling, but it helps to like tell them in advance and then they just manage it, have a session when their kids are asleep, for example. <laughs> yeah. Quiet time. Yeah, quiet time. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's great, honestly, doing mental health or like talking about mental health on a digital platform because like you mentioned, they don't have to go out of their way to travel or there's just a lot of other additional costs that aren't taken into account when you can just do it digitally. Yeah. I was actually reading, I think, a blog entry about how you've also done therapy and like counseling, yes. right? Yeah. So from your personal experience, what has worked really effectively when you're having these like online counseling sessions and... When people talk on Talk Your Heart Out, how is it conducted as yeah. well? Yeah. yeah. Is it like I come to you with a problem and then we talk about it or what does it look like? Yeah. So I think I started when I first had therapy, it was when I was like completely burnt out mm -hmm. at work. And to the point that every extra email that I got in my inbox, even if it was just like, hi, we're having after hours drinks tonight or whatever, would like, I'll just start crying <laughs> if I read, if I read like one extra thing, because I just, I think I was at breaking point and it was all too much. Like I just wasn't able to meet the demands of my daily work and life. And so I think at the time I kind of, you know, the funny thing is that I needed therapy the most at that time. And that was when I was the most overburdened as well. So I couldn't take that time out to go for therapy. So I was, I guess, introduced to the idea and I wasn't, I must admit that I didn't have very much awareness around mental health and therapy and what it does for people. Mm -hmm. At the time I was introduced to the idea of therapy by my colleague and he was like, I think you need to see someone mm -hmm. about this. Like it's not normal for you and it's certainly not okay for you to feel this way and I think the only way I could access therapy then because I was working such long hours was teletherapy because of the convenience I was going to find it really difficult at the time when I think about it now to do a lot of research around like okay I need to see someone after hours but do I see them closer to home do I see them closer to work how much do they charge do I have to call up all these number of people because I didn't want to take time off work and I didn't want to travel so I think all of that was kind of made easy for me barriers to accessing help were a lot lower. Yeah, so I think that really worked. And it wasn't just for that one time, right? I mean, if you want to commit to therapy, it has to be like a number of sessions that you'd like to go for because you want to see improvement. You just don't want to be in the same position as when you started out. Yeah. So to commit to that on a weekly basis, like taking time out was really hard. So that's when I started teletherapy. And I really liked it because I think that sometimes people talk about therapy as talking to someone, like a friend. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that was my experience because I think this person that I was speaking to they didn't get triggered by what I was saying <laughs> do you know what I mean like sometimes when you talk to a friend or a family member they kind of have an interest in whatever you're talking about they would find it sometimes difficult to be non-judgmental entirely the person listening to you is neutral completely yeah completely neutral, neutral completely yeah. non-judgmental but also a professional yeah. so they knew how to navigate the conversation and also they knew how to like extract the important points and also pause at the right moments for me to start reflecting on my life and like they never like fed answers to me it was more about me getting to where I wanted to with my personal goals with their help mm -hmm. yeah with the tools tips strategies that they have kind of in their toolkit yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that they would help me with yeah I think <laughs> analogy that I just thought of was like you know like in bowling right you know how there's like lanes that yeah. you put up and yeah. then you're like so it's like you're kind of navigating your own thoughts but they're just helping you pushing you back to the pinpoint of like what you're trying to really discover about yeah yourself. exactly without like telling me what it is <laughs> like, mm -hmm. yeah 
Yeah. So I guess like, how's that structured at Takio Harat? Yeah. So the way that you would go about like booking an appointment at Takio Harat would be that you'd come on the website. We provide very comprehensive profiles of each of our counselors. So it would have everything about the educational background, what they used to do in their like previous career because for a lot of people this is their second career mm-hmm. and a lot of information about, you know, the languages that they speak, the therapeutic approaches that they use and so on. And we also have a video message from them. So it's a comprehensive profile. You'll have a look at it and you'll, I guess, select someone that you think would be most suited to hear or most suited for you to discuss your deeply personal issues with. And then once you've selected that person, you sign up with us and you just look at the availability of your selected therapist and make an appointment. Prior to the appointment, we send you a Zoom link. So the appointment just happens via Zoom. Okay. So it's just online therapy by video, audio, or live chat. Yeah. Gotcha. I still think it's very seamless. Yeah, just sitting comfortably in your house and not <laughs> having to travel. That's great. Yeah, I think the idea is just to lower barriers to accessing therapy, but looking at it from a bunch of different ways. So whether it is like affordability, so we are like up to 50% less expensive than other private clinics because of the online nature, of course, of therapy. And the fact that we are very transparent with pricing mm-hmm. and also the profiles. So you don't actually have to call us up and ask a lot of follow-up questions in terms of when someone is available, what languages they speak and so on. So we try to be very transparent. And then of course, one other barrier to accessing therapy sometimes is trying to find a person during your workday. So we do provide after work hours and weekend sessions. So hopefully all of these little, little things add up and it's just easier for you when you're at your most vulnerable state to go for therapy. Yeah, I think the transparency part that you mentioned too is yeah. very helpful. Like knowing exactly who you're going to be talking to, even having them have a video on the website is helpful because it's like, oh, I know this person now and I feel like I can tell them like my deepest, darkest secrets. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Because the idea is that you don't want to like repeat your story with multiple therapists yeah. if the first one didn't work out. And so we do have a less expensive introductory session as well for that reason, because, you know, just like the first couple of sessions are always about explaining your history to someone. Someone you've met for the first time, you want to tell them what has brought you to them. What has your history been? So you want to talk to someone you're feeling comfortable with and you know a little bit about. You completely hit the nail on the hill. Okay, I don't remember the analogy. But I'm like, I need another cup of coffee. <laughs> oh, I'll have one too. Yeah. I think that's great. It already takes a lot of courage for someone to be like, I want to talk to someone about something. So I think what you guys are doing is amazing. So COVID obviously has been, it really highlighted the issues with mental health, like not only just in Singapore, but across the world. Hopefully next year, there's not COVID anymore. But, you know, once that passes, like, how do you want to continue the conversations around mental health in Singapore and make sure that, you know, oh, it's not just like a fad yeah, or like, yeah. oh, of 2020. Like, we want these conversations to keep happening and we want people to feel open about talking about their issues. What are kind of your forward-looking thoughts on making sure these conversations don't disappear? Yeah, I just found that in 2020, so many things that happened in the mental health space were really positive. And I guess they really highlighted the need for addressing mental health issues. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would love it. Like, so just to give you an example, I think the government has also done quite a lot in this space. And whether it's like, you know, the national care hotline that was established in the early months of the pandemic outbreak, or the whole of government review, I think it was in March, Mm -hmm. and then more recently, an interagency task force, which is looking into a more coordinated national response to mental health need in the society during COVID. So there's a lot 
of positive stuff that happened this year. My hope is only that this attention is not taken away from mental health next year and that we continue to work on the good work that has happened this year. So for me, I would love to see mental health being taken as seriously as physical health. The same sort of support that we provide to people for physical health issues we provide to those with mental health issues. One thing that comes to mind is, you know, when you go to a GP in Singapore, $15 to $30 that you pay to the GP does not actually reflect the true cost of that service. And this is like heavily subsidized by government, by insurance and by employers. And to a certain extent, of course, mental health services are also subsidized. But I would like to see that happen more and more with mental health. And I think the second issue I'd like to raise is stigma. Like, I think this is a very heavily stigmatized topic. And in Asia, I guess, because it's a, we live in Singapore and it is a conservative Asian society. There are a lot of topics that are considered taboo, mm-hmm. whether it's like sex and sexuality or death or suicide. Mm-hmm. These things are not talked about very openly. But the problem is that when something is stigmatized and you fear judgment or you fear shame, if you discuss it, then it really impedes help-seeking behavior. People don't really come forward when they need help. They don't want to talk about it openly. And that's a real problem because if you think about it, like most people, when they have a problem, they first approach friends and family to seek help. And you would want that conversation to be as open as possible. So if someone needs that help, you can provide support to them early. And that early intervention really does make a difference. You know, that's also like really crippling too, right? Like if you go to friends and family and you feel shameful because of something they say and yeah. it's not acknowledged or taken the way that you wanted it to be, right? So I think like organizations like yours, like who are like popping out and allowing a safe space for people to like talk about it. I think it's great. I truly think, I hope to see more of it as well, not just in Singapore, yeah. but globally. Um, I think I'm going to round out this interview with a last question yes. and it's more of, I guess, Mental health is such a huge topic. I think for you, how are you strengthening your mental health? Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I think it's good advice that maybe our listeners should also know because you told me that you were on the verge of like burnout and you're like, okay, I need to go speak to someone. So what advice would you give others? Yeah, thank you for that question. I think it's like a hard one for me because I think my personality is such that I often like get, like I work pretty hard. Yeah, yeah, and so I just lawyer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's just like now, I guess a part of who I am yeah. that I do like just always work pretty hard and I enjoy it. Like yes. for most part of it, I really do enjoy working. And you know, when I had my burnout and I went for therapy and everything, I felt like I'm such a changed person, you know? <laughs> Like, I'm so mature. Like, I know it all now. Like, I've learned so many things about myself. I have developed. I have evolved. Soon afterwards, realized it's just not the case. Like, I think with mental health, it is a journey. Like, sometimes you need help and then things get better. And then after a while, like, you may slip again into your old bad habits and you have to come out of it again. So what I do now is that I really do closely monitor my mental health. And I think that I have, I think, at least learned that much. Like, I understand when I'm slipping, like, when symptoms show up for me that, you know, I'm not sleeping right, I'm not eating right, or I'm just getting negative thoughts that I don't feel happy. I try to stop myself at that point. Like, I do try and get the right help and sometimes it's not about getting therapy you know people have different ways of processing emotions for me I really do enjoy reading or listening to a bit of philosophy and that gives me a fresh perspective on my issues it helps me like structure my thoughts so that works really well for me so even if it's like listening to a podcast on philosophy I try to take a step back and do that and I meditate quite regularly Mm -hmm. so I think just keeping perspective and taking a little bit of a break that's like you just earmark 
mark this 15 minute or 20 minute time during your day for meditation. So yeah, those are some things that work for me. I do journal as well. Yeah, I do feel like what may work for me may not be the best approach for another person, but I have learned over time that these things bring me a lot of calm. And in the moment, they like make me happy. So yeah, (laughs) I try to keep to it. Yeah, no, I think those are all really great ways to kind of self-express and let out whatever you're feeling. And also, it just seems like you're really conscious now of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm not feeling good. I need to sleep more. Something happened at work. I need to journal. Yeah. I'm also a huge journaling person. Oh, yeah. I don't know what it is. I just like sit there at like 9 p.m., like light a candle and then I'm like, ah, like just journal. Like a candle. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I think just I said the ambiance, right? And yeah, then yeah. I'm like journaling, journaling, journaling. Yeah. yeah. So I understand. Yeah. I agree because like there are thoughts like knocking about in your head yeah. that you just kind of let out onto yeah. paper. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Okay. So I think for me, I'm very like a closed person too. So the thing is like I don't really like talking to people about my problems. Right. So I've journaled a lot. Yeah. And I actually was like thinking I was like you know like maybe I should just talk to a stranger about my own issues. Yeah. So that's why I was like oh I think this conversation will be great and it is great because. Mm-hmm. You've kind of given me more perspective on like just opening myself a little bit more and talking about it. So yeah, I think, yes, I think different people just process things so differently. And yeah, it's interesting that you journal as well. (laughs) I just, it's so therapeutic. Can I ask how you do it? Do you just like write about how your day went? And is it like a reflective sort of a post? Or do you, because what I used to do that and what I've started doing now is to ask myself very specific questions and answering those specific questions. And as a way of like exploring the deep recesses of my mind, I feel like if someone asked me those questions, this is how I would answer them. That's how I approach journaling. I don't know if that makes sense. No, I think that's smart, actually. I think it's like in your sense, it's more like structured journal, like journaling, right? For me, it's like I don't have any questions I ask myself. It's like just word babble. Yeah. It's more of like a word dump. Like, I also use it for like my creative brain yeah. where I'm like, oh, this is a great article that I should write about. And I like jot it in. Yeah. Or like when I'm really angry, I'll like write like five pages just like, you know. Yeah. yeah. But I have heard of what is like the five minute journal. Oh, yes. Yeah. So those are more structured, right? Are you talking about like gratitude journal? Oh, yeah, yeah, the gratitude yeah. journal. Five things you're grateful in the morning, five yeah. great things you're grateful at yeah, yeah. the end of the day. That's really hard. I tried to do that and then it was always like, so it turns out I was doing it wrongly because mm-hmm. apparently you should write like pretty specific things. If not, your entries every day look pretty much the same yeah. like things that you're grateful for my husband <laughs> every day every day you're like oh he pissed me off today yeah. not today <laughs> yeah exactly right yeah so I think it has to be like super specific like I really enjoy that ice honey lemon tea uh, like okay. <laughs> turns out I wasn't doing it right and I lost interest completely after like five pages but yeah I just do like a free-flowing journaling thing I love it yeah I think after this, we should like share what yeah. type of journals or like, yeah, like ways to do that. I love that. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I think more and more people are like starting to journal as well yeah. because they see it as a great channel to release what they're feeling. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time and like being here. Do you have any last words that you just kind of want to talk about or, you know, to our listeners? No, I just think that it's so amazing that you're having this podcast on mental health. And I mean, I think it's a great way to add to that conversation. <laughs> and, you know, to any listeners, yeah, I just hope that this was useful. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you've you can in- like take all of that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you brought in really great insight. And I will definitely link, you know, Talk Your Heart Out and your LinkedIn and information. So anyone who wants to reach out to you or talk to you, they can definitely do that in the article and in the podcast link as well. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Emily, for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Shilpa. Thank you.